Let me go ahead and say happy Sabbath to everyone. And I have a question for you. Are you really happy? Amen. (laughs) And the reason I ask that is because we already know God, he really wants us to be happy. And we live in a time and live in a world where the devil does not make it easy for us to often maintain that happiness. And I remember one time I was going through the gospel and it was the gospel of John. And it was in John 15 that it was right there where Jesus says, these things that I say unto you, he says, I say it that my joy might remain in you and that your joy would be full. And that is my hope and my prayers that we will be joyful children of God. And so as we prepare to hear his words today, we have quite a bit to cover. So I'm going to offer a word of prayer. We're going to talk about biblical forgiveness, biblical forgiveness. The message of forgiveness is something that we all need to know and understand because we all have been wounded at some point in our journey. And so I trust that by God's grace, what we're going to study today will ultimately bring a very special shower of grace and healing to each and every one of us where we need it most. I'm going to kneel for prayer, and if you'd like to, please join me in kneeling. Otherwise, you can bow your heads reverently where you are, but let us all pray together as we go through the word. Our Father in heaven, we are very grateful for this day that you have given to us. We thank you so much for the gift of life, health, and strength. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunities for us to hear heaven speak. And we just pray at this time that you will pour out your spirit upon us and grant us your choicest blessings, Lord, and help us to receive that healing, that relief where we need it most from the wounds of life that we have suffered. And Father, I pray this prayer not only for my brothers and sisters, but also for myself. I am a man as well, Lord, that can err, and I also need your grace. And so I pray not only for them, but I pray for myself. And we all avail ourselves to you at this time. Truly, take our lives and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee, is our prayer we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The relevance of talking about the subject of forgiveness is very high because when you go to the book of Matthew chapter 5, I want to show you something. Matthew, actually, uh, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, and I want you to see something the Bible says when we consider the subject of forgiveness. And I bring this subject up because, like I said, all throughout these several weeks, we have been covering a series. The series has been God's plan to restore the family. And the reason that we did that is because we know a lot of us come from homes that have been challenged, broken, dysfunctional, or just different types of battles. No home that I know of, at least, is perfect. And sometimes we go through wounds. And so we were talking about how God has a plan to restore the home and to get us on better ground with him and ultimately with one another that we can fulfill his work and prepare to meet our God. In Matthew chapter 6, the reason why we're talking about forgiveness is because last week we talked about biblical principles for marriage. And we know that a lot of our homes and a lot of our marriages are not necessarily on the same page as the word of God. Very few homes have found true happiness, even in their marriages, unfortunately. And what God knows is that while we talked about biblical principles of marriage and how the home should be, there is always the battle between ideal and reality. The ideal is what God wants. The reality is where we are. 
And a lot of times the reality and the ideal are just about as opposite as east is from west. And so what God says is in order for us to come together in that unity, there are things that we need to know and understand and practice. And one of them is this beautiful principle of forgiveness. Now, how important is it? Take a look at Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. The Bible says in Matthew, the sixth chapter, verses 14 and 15, it says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 15, But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, that is a very serious verse because what that's letting us know is that the subject of forgiveness is salvational. It is something that can impact someone's eternal life or eternal damnation. And as a result of that, it is a subject that we really have to take in hand and make sure we understand what the Word of God is saying as well as what the Word of God is not saying. And I'm just going to put it out there right now. When we talk about forgiveness, we're going on God's level. We're not going to do it on man's level because I think as we go through our study, we're going to see that man's level of forgiveness is seriously limited, seriously flawed, and does not bring about the fruit that God desires. Now, when we look at God's standard of forgiveness, it is not just an intellectual thing. Go to the book of Matthew 18. When you go to Matthew 18, God actually talks again about the ideology of forgiveness from his perspective and he makes a very powerful point in verse 35. The Bible says in the book of Matthew 18, and we're considering verse 35. And the Bible says, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from where? From your heart forgive not how many? Everyone, his brother, their trespasses. God wants us to have a forgiveness that penetrates deep down to the heart. It's not just something we say, but we don't mean. It is something we say and we mean it. Now, as we get ready to go through this, I think we need to understand that when we deal with the subject of forgiveness, we're going to dive into what it is, but let's take a few moments to talk about what it is not. Because when we deal with the subject of forgiveness, if we don't address it properly, and in biblical balance, we can end up doing damage even to this wonderful grace. And so when we talk about forgiveness, let's talk about what it's not as we prepare to talk about what it is and how to live it. Number one, forgiveness is not condoning what the person did to you. Sometimes we are afraid to forgive people because we feel like, well, if I forgive them, that means I'm condoning what they did to me. That is not true. Forgiveness is not condoning what the person did to you. Many people hesitate to forgive because they feel as though the wrongdoer is getting away with the offense or that forgiveness will somehow condone the offender's choices. It doesn't. Instead, forgiving releases. Here's what forgiveness does do that's beautiful. Forgiveness releases the wrongdoer from the debt she owes you and releases you from the bitterness. This is what forgiveness does. Now, this is important. I mean, I want you to imagine if any of you are business owners and let's say you have property, especially real estate. And if you have real estate and let's say you have a renter and your renter, somebody who is your tenant, they're, they're renting and they're paying monthly, etc. And here it is that one day they don't pay you rent. Next month, they don't pay you rent. Next month, they don't pay you rent. 
Next month, they don't pay your rent. You got all these months going by, they're not even paying their rent. We as business owners, we know, listen, sooner or later, we're going to arrive at a point to say, listen, if you're not going to pay your rent, then you cannot stay in the property. Is that right? Does that, does that make sense? Of course. That's common logic. But notice how we harbor bitterness in our minds so strongly against people. And they have moved on with their lives, but we're allowing them to live in our minds rent-free. And I believe that we need to give a lot of those people that we locked up in our minds with all that bitterness, we need to give them a spiritual eviction notice. We need to get them to a place to say, you know what, I'm letting go of this bitterness. I'm not going to let you live in my head anymore. I'm going to find out a way that I can finally forgive and evict even you from my mind. So number one, let us remember that forgiveness is not condoning what the individuals have done to us. Number two, forgiveness is not immediately trusting the offender again. Sometimes we say to ourselves, I don't know if I want to forgive this person because we automatically think forgiveness means automatic trust again. That is not true. That's not even biblical. Watch this. If we consider it carefully, after a betrayal, trust is not automatic right off the offender, right of the offender. Forgiveness does not mean you immediately allow the person back into your life or heart. That's, that's actually not forgiveness. Notice, if someone is repentant and willing to work on restoring the relationship, you might be able to trust him again eventually. However, sometimes those who would wound us shouldn't be trusted again. Though forgiveness should not be contingent on the perpetrator's repentance, a truly repentant person doesn't demand forgiveness or misuse Bible verses in an attempt to make you feel guilty. He humbly accepts complete responsibility for the sin and the consequences for his actions. Psalms 51 is a beautiful reading to prove that point. But then it closes which may include giving you time to see evidence of his trustworthiness. So never ever mistake forgiveness to mean I must immediately trust you again. If somebody violates you, if somebody molested you or touched you in an inappropriate manner or anything along those lines, you can forgive them, but they are not worthy yet of immediate trust that you can be in the same room with them. Are you following that? You have to know that difference. Always remember this. It takes one to forgive. That's why you don't look for their repentance. You can forgive without that person changing anything about them. It takes one to forgive, but it takes two to reconcile. Are you following that? It takes one to forgive, but it takes two to reconcile. So you don't have to wait for them to be repentant or anything like that. You can forgive them, but it does not mean that you're suddenly going to start hanging out and spending all this time together as things were before. Sometimes space and time and counseling brings true healing. Let's continue. Another thing forgiveness is not. Forgiveness, oh, and I really appreciate this point. Forgiveness is not relieving the person of responsibility. Sometimes we feel like if I forgive this person, they're just going to be relieved of responsibility and act like life just moves on. No, 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 no. That is not forgiveness. A person shouldn't be off the hook from his or her responsibilities just because you choose to forgive. For example, a wife may be forgiven for placing the family in financial ruin with debt, but she should still be responsible for paying off the debt. Are you following that? 
You could be forgiven for the offense, but you're still responsible for making proper restitution for the thing that has been squandered. Continuing, it also says a former husband may be forgiven for destroying his marriage with an affair, but he should still pay child support to his former wife. Are you following that? So please remember, beloved, forgiveness does not remove responsibility. Forgiveness doesn't eradicate responsibility. It's not unloving. Don't forget this. It is not unloving to hold someone accountable. Often accountability is the most loving thing you can do because it could lead to repentance. If you don't hold the person accountable, they might just move on, skate away, and do it again to somebody else. So don't confuse what forgiveness is versus what forgiveness isn't. But I think we need to spend the rest of our time on talking about what it is. We definitely establish some points of what it is not. But let's talk about what it is, all right? When we think about this beautiful subject of forgiveness, we know many of us, unfortunately, are batting, battling with the antithesis. We are battling with unforgiveness. We have this thing ruling in our hearts because there's some people that offended us that it was like a next level offense. It wasn't just the common like, oops, I'm sorry. It was almost like stuff that was calculated. They sat down, they thought about it, and they planned on hurting you, and then they executed and hurt you. And when those individuals come up in our minds, sometimes there's still almost an immediate bitter response. Uh, we, you know, our, our, our muscles tighten up. Our facial expression changes. We get very upset because we think about that individual or those individuals who have hurt us. And God just told us, if we don't forgive, he won't forgive us. And he also forgives as we forgive. You ever thought about that prayer? Our Father which art in heaven, etc. And what do we say to him? We actually tell God. That's why, that's why you want to check, is my measure or is my demonstration of forgiveness towards others, does it match the biblical blueprint? The reason why you want to ask that question, family, is because we actually gave God permission to do something. We said, forgive us our sins as or in like manner as we forgive others. So if we go to people and say, I forgive, but I'm going to never forget what you did. God says, okay, I'll forgive, but I will never forget what you did. Do you want God to treat you like that? The intelligent answer is, oh, no, God forbid. Well, God says, then please don't do that with others. God says, let me show you how to forgive as I forgive. It's better. So watch this. One of the most beautiful things that I love about forgiveness is found in this wonderful story. Luke 5. Let's turn there. I want you to go to Luke 5 with me. I believe something very beautiful about the power of forgiveness. Forgiveness has power, and I can prove it. And I'm going to prove it from the text. In Leviticus 5, or Luke rather, 5, I want us to see what the Bible says about forgiveness. And this is very, very beautiful. Luke 5, we're starting at verse 17. When you get there, please let me know by saying amen. In Luke 5, it says in verse 17. Now, because we're doing 17 to 25, I'll read 17. You'll do 18. I'll do 19, 20, and we'll just continue it. All right? Luke 5, starting at verse 17. Now, notice a special word in verse 17. It says in Luke 5, 17, and it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the what? The power of the Lord was present to heal. Go ahead and do, heal them. 
Go ahead and do verse 18. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the mist before Jesus. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Whether it's easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. Verse 25 says, and immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. Now, we just saw that in verse 17, it said the power of the Lord was present to heal them. What was that power? It was in verse 24. In verse 24, it says, but that you may know that the son of man has what? Power on earth to do what? forgive sins he says i say unto thee rise take up your mat and walk so what is the power that actually brings healing it is none other than the forgiveness of those who have trespassed against us the same way that we receive forgiveness from god as we have trespassed against him so some of us watch this some of us might be going through something right now physically ailing mentally ailing. Some of us are going through things right now. And could it be that part of the reason why we have not received the full healing as God desires for us to receive is because maybe we're still harboring unforgiveness when the power of the Lord is present to heal. I have worked in gospel medical missionary work for a long time. I've been in the health work and the health field for many, many years, brothers and sisters. And I have worked with cancer patients. I have worked with people who are terminal. And I'm telling you, sometimes, even as they're bordering very, very close to death, we will discover that somebody was harboring unforgiveness in their heart. We will begin to address those issues, pray with them, counsel them, walk with them. And do you know that some of those people who are at death's bed. Death was knocking on their door. Do you know some of those people are alive today five, eight, ten years later? It was bitterness, anger, and resentment in the heart that was killing them. It was causing all sorts of negative reactions in their cardiovascular system, in their immune system. We already know that stress can bring on all of these diseases, cardiovascular disease, diseases related to the immune system, of course, cancer, and the list goes on. There's plenty of science out there, but what we don't understand is where's all that stress coming from? And a lot of it is coming from unforgiveness. It's coming from harboring bitterness and resentment and anger towards people that we have concluded in our mind have done us so wrong that they are at the place that they are unforgivable. And my brothers and sisters, I'm just saying the power of the Lord is present to heal. When we think about this term forgiveness, the root word for forgive, it's a pretty awesome word. Uh, it comes from the Latin word perdonare, where we get the word pardon, right? And it says, and, and here's what it means, which I thought was really amazing. It says to give completely without reservation. It says that perdonaire is also the source of the English word pardon. The result is forgifen, appeared in Old English meaning to give up, allow, as well as to give in marriage. We're just getting into the root word of the word forgiveness. All right. Then it also says this. One clue to understanding forgiveness is to look at the origins of the word. The word forgive comes from an old English word, forgifen, which is itself made up of two words. Gaifen, meaning give, 
and for meaning completely. So in other words, the word forgafen conveys the sense of giving something completely. Giving something completely. So when we think about forgiving others, we're talking about giving something to that offender completely, without reservation. Now, how does the Bible work through this ideology? How does the Bible work through this concept? So you'll remember the classic verse on forgiveness, right, in the Bible. The classic verse of forgiveness in the Bible is none other than 1 John 1 and verse 9. What is it that 1 John 1 9 says? If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much? So notice it's a giving completely. When God forgives you and I, naturally when we enter into this world, we are bent on practicing unrighteousness. That's, that's the package that comes with having a sinful nature. As a result of having a sinful nature, you're not a sinner just because of sinful nature. But we become a sinner because outside of another nature, sooner or later, we're going to sin. So we have a natural bend. When we're born in this world, we have a natural bend to do that which is wrong, which is called sin. Now watch this. When we sin, we are practicing unrighteousness. If you want a text for that, you can write it down in your note. 1 John chapter 5, verse 17. It says, all sin is unrighteousness. All sin is unrighteousness. So when we sin, we're practicing unrighteousness. When we sin, it goes on our record that we are unrighteous. So watch this. When we go to God and we confess our sins, the Bible says that if we confess our sins from the heart, if we confess our sins from the heart, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And then it says, and to cleanse us from how much? All unrighteousness. So the first thing God does is he removes from us all of our unrighteousness, every bit of it. There's nothing left. But you know what God does? He doesn't just take away. He also gives in its place. What does he give in its place? Notice what the Bible says. When we consider 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, what does God give in its place? He takes away our sins. We're talking about forgiveness. He is removing completely that which is bad, and then he gives completely something else. Notice what the Bible says. It says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the what? Righteousness of God in him. So when God forgives us, he doesn't just take away all of our unrighteousness, but what then does he give to us? His righteousness. The Bible spells it out again in Romans 3 in a beautiful way. It says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare something. What is he declaring? He declares his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. And so literally forgiveness in God's mind is to completely remove that which is wrong and then completely give that which is right. This is God's perspective of forgiveness. So if we were to put it in a summary, we would put it like this. Forgiveness is not only pardoning someone for the wrongs they've done, but also giving them a token, which shows a willingness for reconciliation, though it may not be immediate.
So it's not enough for me to forgive somebody by saying, they come to me and say, Dwayne, can you please forgive me? And I say, all right, I'll forgive you, but then I still continue to treat them exactly how I treated them before they asked for forgiveness. What I'm going to do is not only pardon them for the wrong that they've done, but I'm going to give them something in return. Maybe kindness. Maybe prayer. Maybe some tangible token to let them know we're not reconciled yet. But I give this to you simply to let you know that I'm praying that by God's grace, one day we will be reconciled. Forgiveness is not just pardoning for the wrong only, but it's giving a token, something that lets them know that sooner or later, by the grace of God, may we be reconciled. Now, understanding that, there's something very important that we have to cover. Three things. We're going to see if we can cover these three things. Three categories of forgiveness. The first one we're going to talk about is forgiving yourself. How many of you ever heard of that? Forgiving yourself. You ever heard of that? Self-forgiveness therapy and these type of things, right? Then we have the second one, which is those who have offended you. This is tough for many of us, okay? This is tough. And then we have the third one, which is to know you are truly forgiven. These are three areas that really can hinder us from living the abundant life, having happy homes, having happy marriages, is if we don't have these three questions settled. Some of us have done so much wrong that we feel like, you know what, I just don't know. I don't know if God can forgive me. So we sometimes feel really bad and we talk about struggling even forgiving ourselves. But let us go ahead and let's see what the Bible says about that, because I believe the Bible is our man of counsel. That's what we were talking about in our Sabbath school with my young brothers and sisters is, is the Bible still relevant even in 2021, soon to be 2022? Is the book still relevant? And the answer, thank the Lord, is absolutely. Now watch this. When I think about this idea, forgive yourself, okay, forgive yourself. I began to look, up, look this up and kind of study this concept out. So, so work with me through this. Walk with me through this study here. Number one, there's, there's an organization called BetterHelp. They actually have a conglomerate of therapists, psychologists, many individuals in the health field, and all that they do is they look at what happens to people in modern day society as far as things that affect especially the mind, and they do a lot of counseling and help and these type of things. Well, what they did was they went through this subject on what is self-forgiveness and why is it important to us, all right? Why is it important to us? As you can see, the article just came out last year. And here's what they showed. Self-forgiveness defined. It says, choosing to forgive yourself doesn't mean you're weak. It does not mean you're off the hook for what happened. It does not mean you tolerate behaviors that occurred. Forgiveness, whether of someone else or yourself, means you accept actions and behaviors that occurred while willing to move forward. You are eager to move on knowing you can't change what happened. Forgiving yourself means letting go of the feelings and emotions associated with what went wrong. You let go of any resentment or anger. It may be easier to do this when forgiving others, but many find it hard to do this for themselves. So this is self-forgiveness. So I began to look at it and I was like, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. While self-forgiveness is really popular, I have never found that in the scriptures. And I looked for it. I mean, I looked for it. I try to be diligent in my study life. I said, God, do you agree with self-forgiveness? 
Because I want you to notice, you know, this, this, let, me, let me help you, let me get, let you in on something. When you do, if you do counseling or anything like that, I'm going to give you a tip that will help you to be a very good counselor. Don't just listen to what people say. Doubly listen to what they don't say. That's a tip. That's a tip. Okay? Don't just listen to what people say. Doubly listen to what they don't say. I hear what they're saying. But you know what the problem is that I have with this? Is I'm paying attention to what they're not saying. You know what they're not saying? They're not saying anything about the creator. They somehow want you to believe you have power to forgive yourself. And so I looked in the Bible and I said, where in the word of God does God say that I have power and you have power to forgive yourself for the wrongs that you've done to, you, to yourself or to others? And I can't find that anywhere. If you find it, you please let me know. But I can't find it. In fact, I found the opposite. You see, to forgive oneself means that we're carrying some degree of guilt and burden. And as a result of that guilt and self-remorse, we have to somehow let it go. So this is telling us to do that, let go of resentment and anger, but it's not telling us how. And good parents always not only tell your children what to do, we show them how to do it. That's good parenthood. We'll talk about it next week. Now watch this. One of the, some of the signs of guilt is right there on the screen. Notice two things that are very much uh, in harmony of this whole idea of self-forgiveness. Some signs you might be suffering from guilt. Notice anxiety is the number one thing. But in addition to that, you also have regret down there at the bottom. And then you have these external signs like muscle tension and crying. Oh, rumination, that's a huge one, just always thinking about it. I know a lot of people that go to bed at 10, but they go to sleep at 2. You know anybody like that? You go to bed at 10 o'clock, you finally fall asleep at 2 o'clock. What are you doing between 10 and 2? You know what they're doing? Ruminating. They're just thinking about stuff all throughout the night. And sometimes we're thinking about how somebody offended us. You know, yesterday I got a phone call. It's a very interesting phone call. It was just the strangest thing. You know, I, uh, I, I have my insurance with, with uh, a state farm organization. And I remember that I got a call from the guy who, like, owns the franchise, you know, owns one of the franchises. He, he calls me up. And I notice he has, like, an attitude. You know, he's calling me and he's talking to me like, yeah, you know, is this Dwayne? And I'm like, yes, this is Dwayne. Yeah, well, I need to talk to you. And I was just like, okay, I'm here. I'm listening. Uh, you know, I, I saw that you canceled your policy. And I was like, well, yeah, I did. And he said, well, uh, I just thought that that was offensive. And I'm like, I'm like, so you're calling me to tell me how you're offended by me canceling a policy? Like, I understand disappointed. I understand, sir, is there anything we can do to possibly earn your business back? You know, that's the professional mind that I have. This man is calling like he wants to start a fight. So my wife is watching this because my wife knows that inside of me there's a warrior. You know, she knows it. She knows it very well. And so she's, she's looking at me like, uh-oh. Uh, let's see if the warrior comes out. So I'm just there on the phone, and I'm like, well, sir, um, you know, I said, I, I, I'm a little taken back by this call. Uh, you know, I said, the reason why I canceled it, and I, I went to the reasoning, I went to the rationale, oh, and I didn't even cancel my whole policy. I just canceled the smallest portion of it. He's getting the big money from all the other stuff. This thing was like $150 a month. 
And I'm just like, uh, you know, I canceled it and I gave my rational reasons. And he was like, yeah, well, I thought you were trying to just be uh, vengeful. And I'm like, is this a real conversation? You know, you're, you're waiting to hear like, gotcha. You know, you're waiting to hear that. But I never heard that. And I'm like, this guy is actually calling me mad because I canceled a portion of a policy. And I found in my mind, I said, you know, this is strange. So we walked it through, talked it through, and eventually he was like, you know, sir, I realized such and such, I'm sorry, or whatever. Now, we squashed it, everything was fine. But back in the days, the way my mind used to work, I'd go to bed at 10 o'clock. And from 10 to 2, I'd be like, you know what? I can't believe that brother called me like that. I should have said this to him. I should have said that. Like, normally, that's what would have happened. But you know what happened last night when I went to bed? I just went to bed and went to sleep with a nice smile on my face. No ruminating. And what I'm saying to you is I know people offend you. I know people hurt us. I know people get on our nerves and challenge us to the core. But my brothers and sisters, sitting down, missing good quality sleep, some of your greatest healing is from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. According to the circadian rhythm of the body, that's some of your best healing. We miss that because we're too busy doing what? Ruminating. Just thinking over all the offenses of the day, etc. Get some sleep, family. Guilt hurts us in so many ways. But I want us just to look. Guilt plays that big role in anxiety, right? Well, watch this. Did you know the Anxiety and Depression Association of America tells us that anxiety alone, we're not even getting into the depression and all the other stuff, anxiety affects over 40 million adults in the United States, 18 and older. Which means that we got heart disease at 600,000. We have cancer at 500 plus thousand, almost 600,000. We have COVID just for this time period that's already hit approximately 700,000. Anxiety, and if you combine it with depression and many other mental health disorders, they blow all of it out the box. And they're the precursor to those things. And so what does that tell me? I don't think that we can truly say self-forgiveness is working. Self-forgiveness is not having as much success because self-forgiveness is rooted in the issue of us battling with guilt and remorse and how to properly handle it. So what does God give to us as a solution that I believe is way better than you and I trying to forgive ourselves? Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says in Acts 5 and verse 31, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. Talking about Jesus. And then it says to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Notice forgiveness of sins is not something that is innately within us. Forgiveness of sins is something God gives to us. Are you following that? Oh, that's beautiful. Now watch this. Ephesians 4 and verse 32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You see, I don't have to spend time trying to forgive myself. What I've learned to do is to trust and rest in that he has forgiven me. The summary on this point, my brothers and sisters, is we are not called to forgive ourselves. Instead, we accept by faith the forgiveness God has given to us through the cross of Calvary and by our confession of sin. That is how 
the weight is lifted. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And he says, and I will give you rest. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God can make those burdens that we battle with on a daily basis and he can make it light, my brothers and sisters. And so what Jesus is trying to communicate is don't try to forgive yourselves because you don't have the capacity to do that. But God says, I do. And my confidence is not in myself. My confidence is in him. That's what 1 John 5, 14 says. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. My confidence is not in me. Some of the things that's so twisted about modern day psychology is we're so busy trying to show people how great they are rather than how great God is. Amen. And that's why Christian psychology is the best. Because we are great in him. Not merely because of who you and I are. The Bible tells us how you and I are. And somebody always says, but God knows my heart. I said, you're right. He does know your heart. He knows our heart so well, he wrote about it. And it's in Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's your heart. That's my heart. Now, if somebody knocked on your door and said, hey, how you doing? Listen, I'm deceitful, I'm deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Let me show you how to take care of your body. Would you listen to that person's counsel? If he knocked on your door and said, hey, listen, I'm deceitful above all things. I'm desperately wicked. Let me give you some financial advice. Would you listen to that person's financial counsel? If they knocked on your door and said, listen, I, I heard you guys go to a church where this minister keeps talking about the marriage. Listen, I am deceitful above all things. And I am desperately wicked. Let me show you how to have a happy home. Would you listen to that person? God forbid. And I know it's a hard truth, but brothers and sisters, if you want to know who that person is, behold that mirror and pay close attention to the reflection. Because Jesus is trying to help us understand that the human heart is not trustworthy. How many times, family, look at your lives. How many times, for those of you who are even at what, 20, 25 years old, how many people have you dated or gone out with and at one point your heart said he's the right one and he ended up being the wrong one? How many times, brothers, have you gotten to a place where you met that girl and you said, man, she's going to be the queen of my household and she ended up being the witch of Endor? <laughs> how many times has that happened? You understand what I'm saying? In other words, we all can look. All you need to do is just live life a little bit and we can see, did not our hearts deceive us? Aren't there decisions that we've made where we, we just knew from our heart we were right? And we discovered we were all wrong. God says, listen, God says, listen, I don't enjoy this. God says, I'm just trying to help you understand. Don't trust your heart. We need a new heart. Why do you think God talks so much about that? A new heart also will I give them. Why? Because this old one is messed up. And so, no, brothers and sisters, we can't forgive ourselves. We don't even have the capacity to do that. But, man, can we accept by faith the forgiveness God has given to us? Oh, beautifully. And yes, 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 we can. Now, let's talk about this other one, because this is probably the big one, right? Those who have offended us. Isn't this the big one? This is, this is the challenge of challenges. Yes, some of us may battle with still feeling guilty after we've done wrong, but the Bible is very clear that God has forgiven us. Praise his name. But what about... When we battle with this one, the people that have offended us. I know women that were molested by their uncles at eight years old. That should never have happened. How do you forgive a man for that? 
I know individuals that have been raped and abused and beat up by others. How in the world do you forgive somebody that has done that to you? How do you go to those people and say you, sh you should forgive that ex-offender? It's a very difficult thing to do, but yet God calls us to do it. So how do we do that, right? Let's talk about it. You see, there are three things to remember when struggling to forgive others. Three things. Three things. Number one. Remember they do not truly know what they are doing. You ever, you ever struggle with that? <laughs> you know, here goes, you know, the question is asked, okay, we have Jesus and we have Barabbas. Who do you want free? Give us Barabbas. And then they're like, okay, well then what do you want me to do with Jesus? Crucify him. And even Pilate had to say, why? What did he do wrong? And the Bible says they just cried out the more, crucify him, crucify him. And then Pilate goes like this. Pilate says, I don't understand this. This is not right, but I'm surrendering to the people because I'm afraid of them. So what does Pilate do? Pilate goes to this basin of water in front of all their faces after they repeatedly said, crucify him and free Barabbas. Then they, uh, Pilate goes to the basin, washes his hands. He says, I wash my hands of this matter. And then the people respond don't worry about it. Let his blood be on us and on our children. Sounds to me like they knew exactly what they were saying. And then you got Jesus on the cross looking at them while they're like, that's right. Hope you die. Hope you go to hell. Remember, the Bible says in Deuteronomy, cursed be the man that is put on a tree. When they put Jesus on the cross, you've got to remember, stoning was Jewish practice, not crucifixion. Stoning was Jewish practice. And we know that because in John 8, when Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, immediately, verse 59 says they took up stones to kill him. Stoning is Jewish practice. Crucifixion is Roman. But for some strange reason, when Pilate says, what do you want me to do with Jesus? If they were good, faithful, law-keeping Jews... They should have said, stone him. But instead they said, crucify him. Why? Because they remembered something that Jesus said. Tear down this building. And in three days, I will lift it up. And Satan instigating in their minds wanted them to make sure that that resurrection would not happen. So rather than stone him, they said, put him under God's curse. Because cursed is the man that hangs on a tree. And so this was a most demonic event when they said, crucify him. They wanted to put Jesus under God's curse so there's no way that he would ever be able to rise up on that third day like he promised. That's pretty wicked. And here goes Jesus on that cross looking at his murderers. And then he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Do you know, brothers and sisters, one of the reasons why we should be able to forgive others is because the same thing. We watch people intelligently do evil against us. We watch them. It's almost like they planned it, right? It's almost like they calculated it. It's almost like they knew exactly what they were doing. And here goes Jesus defying logic. And Jesus says, Father, have mercy. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus says one of the first reasons why I want my people to forgive others is because no matter how much it looks like they know what they're doing, the truth is 
They don't know what they're doing. I don't know if you remember John 8 and verse 44 when everybody was talking about Abraham being their father and uh, Jesus got a little agitated eventually by hearing all of this father Abraham talk and Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to tell you straight who your father is. He says, you are of your father, the devil. That was strong language. John 8, 44. But this is what he said next. He said, and the lusts of your father you will do. Wow. In other words... If I don't have God as my father, and if the devil is my father, my leader, does humanity have the power to say no to Satan when Satan wants them to do something? If the persons are rejecting God, do we naturally just have power to tell Satan no? Some people believe there's God's will, Satan's will, and our will. That is not biblical. There's only God's will and Satan's will. That's it. If you're not fulfilling one, you are fulfilling the other. And so Jesus said, the lust of your father, you will do. You're going to do it. And so when Jesus saw they have rejected me, by default, they have received Satan. And when Satan told them to do, they had no power to resist. Why do you think Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing? John 15, 5. Without Christ, we have no power against Satan. He's too powerful. And so Jesus wanted us to understand that when those people said, crucify him, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Be merciful, Lord. That is exactly the position Christ wants us to have against those who have offended us, even the ones who appeared so intelligently calculated in doing the hurt that they have done to us. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. You see, what's the second reason? The second reason, why is it? What is the second reason God enables us to forgive others? Is because he says, remember you were once God's enemy. Romans 5 and verse 8, verse 10 says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much the more we shall be saved by his life. Did you know that you and I were God's enemies? Did you know that family? That before we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says that our position before God is we were his enemies. And that's why I want you to consider this story. How many of you know that face? Do y'all know that face? Don't know it, do you? Let me introduce her to you. She's somebody I'm looking forward to meet one day. Her name is Carla Faye Tucker. Carla Faye Tucker. Does that ring a bell for anybody? She was top news. Y'all don't know about Carla Faye? Oh, let me tell you about Carla Faye. Carla, she was born November 18, 1959. But she died by execution on February 3rd, 1998. So here's the story. Carla and her friend took some drugs. And Carla and her friend took drugs and, and they began to go to a person's house to rob their house. And they made sure that the person wasn't home. The house was dark and all of that. And I remember that the story says that as she went inside the house, she was spoiling the goods, you know, taking all the person's goods. And then she went into the bedroom. And when she went into the bedroom, she noticed that there was like this lump under the, under the sheets. It looked like a person. Carla walks over, takes the sheets off, and it was a man. Carla and her friend takes that guy down, holds him down, beats him up, and then they kill him. After they kill him, they continue taking all the goods. But Carla couldn't help but to notice in the corner, there was another sheet. And it just looked like there was a lump under that sheet. Carla goes over there, and she takes the sheet off, and it's a woman. 
that woman was committing adultery on her husband with this man. Carla began to take that girl down to the ground and she had a pickaxe. And she took that pickaxe and she began to hit the girl with it. And then eventually she took the pointed part of the pickaxe and she ran it through that person's heart. The story says Tucker proceeded to hit Thornton. That was the last name of the young lady. Tucker proceeded to hit Thornton repeatedly with the pickaxe and then embedded the axe in her heart. Now it is time for me to speak code. There is a privilege that God has created for men and women to only be practiced in marriage. How many of you are with me? Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, there's an experience that God has privileged only to be practiced in marriage between a man and a woman. All right? That. Now, watch this. In that experience that God has given for a man and a woman, there's a height that you can arrive at in that experience that begins with the letter O. Are you still with me? Are you following with me? With me? Who's not with me? Probably the young people. That's good. Now, watch this. There's an experience only for men and women that God has brought into marriage. And then in that experience, there's a height you can reach in that experience that begins with the letter O. Watch this next sentence. Tucker would later tell people and testify that she experienced intense multiple O's with each blow of the pickaxe on that woman. What do you think about that? Intense, multiple O's with every blow of the pickaxe on that woman. And I remember when I first learned this story many years ago, and I remember I said to myself, that's disgusting. That's crazy. How do you have so much pleasure while murdering somebody? And for a minute, I was like, my mind can't even imagine that. But I don't know about you, but the Spirit of God has this incredible way of talking to us. So you know what God began to do with me? I'm walking around saying, that's disgusting. How could that woman do that? That's terrible. That's disgusting. And then here it is. God says, yes, it is terrible, isn't it? Having so much pleasure while murdering an innocent person. That is disgusting, isn't it, Dwayne? And I said, yes, Lord. How could somebody do that? I don't even understand how somebody could do that. And God was like, really? You can't understand how to have so much pleasure while murdering an innocent person. And God began to keep repeating that thought to my head, how people could have so much pleasure while murdering an innocent person. When Jesus walked on this earth, he was innocent. All he came to this earth to do was bless, bless, bless without one curse. And the Bible says that he was wounded for our transgressions. The Bible is very clear. He died because of our sins. 
So here's my question to you. How many times did you sin and you enjoyed every bit of it while it was murdering an innocent person? How many times did the temptation come and we played with it? We creeped and looked at it. The voice of God was saying, please don't do it. Please do not do this to my son, because the Bible says that every time we sin, we crucify the son of God afresh and bring him to an open shame. Hebrews 6 and verse 6. God says, what was your attitude like when you were having fornication? What was that attitude like when you were doing whatever that sin was? God says, where was your mind? Looks to me from what I recall in my books. God says, I saw people enjoying themselves while they killed my son in my face and had the nerve to worship me the next day. And I realized the most solemn thought that ever came to my mind, family. I am Carla Faye Tucker. You are Carla Faye Tucker. Because when we're tempted, we enjoy it. When we fulfill our temptation, we enjoy it. And all we had to do is just have a little bit more spiritual ear as if we could hear that hammer just slamming through his hands all over again afresh and bringing him to an open shame. Are we really that different from Carla Faye Tucker? She only did it to one woman. How many times did we do it to the innocent son of God? But that's not the close of her story. You see, that's Carla as well. Carla heard the story of the gospel. As Carla heard the story of Jesus and as her heart was turned to Christ, she ended up becoming a minister in the prison when she was sentenced to death. She began to minister to people. You can go on YouTube tonight and you can watch some of her story of how you, you'll see Carla talking about her savior. The time finally came when they said, you know what? Appeals started to be made. Among those who appealed to the state of Texas on her behalf were Becca Wally Nadaye, the United Nations Commissioner on Summary and Arbitrary Executions, the World Council of Churches, Pope John Paul II, Italian Prime Minister Romano Prodi, the Speaker of the House of Representatives Newt Gingrich, televangelist Pat Robinson, and guess what? Ronald Carlson, the brother of Tucker's murder victim, Debbie Thornton. They all said she's changed. Give her another chance. But it was George W. Bush who said she will not get another chance. You see, again, you can be forgiven, but you still sometimes have to face your consequences. Carla was executed, and the story says that when she went inside of that room getting ready to get on that gurney to lose her life, she began to bless the warden. She began to wish God's greatest blessings upon every single part of the staff of that prison house. She began to pray for her fellow prisoners, and she said, I know where I'm going. And Carla truly went to rest in peace. And you know what that tells me? God showed me I may be Carla Faye Tucker, but I can have a clothes like she had. That my life can be right with God. You see, my brothers and sisters, the reality is, is when you compare what we've done to Jesus, it makes all of our offenders look less offensive. And that's why. Remember, you were once God's enemy. 
in the same way that God forgave you after all that we've done to his son, it enables us to forgive others as well. Finally, remember the joy it brings to others and gives to you. Remember that. Another blessing, the three blessings, the three ways that we can forgive others for how they have offended us is, number one, remember that they don't truly know what they're doing. They're under the power of the enemy. Pray for them. Remember, you were once God's enemy and God still was willing to forgive you. So we should be willing to forgive even our enemies, those who hurt us and done all these wrongs. And then finally, remember the joy it brings to others. The Bible says, blessed, happy are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. And so when we think about that, remember, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That's the, that's the balancing act. God says, be kind because remember, that's what I was towards you. Finally, remember the summary. When we struggle forgiving others, let us remember the cross. Go back to Calvary, family. Go back to it. The cross shows us how guilty we are before God. Yet, in spite of our sins, he's willing to forgive us. We should forgive others as well as they are lesser offenders. We should be willing to forgive them as well. Can God forgive me? Sometimes we feel he can't. Let me go through this very quickly. I know our time is gone. In Micah 7, 19 through 20, the Bible says that God, when he forgives us our sins, it says he casts our sins into the bottom of the sea. Strangely enough, when I looked up the word sea, it actually came up the Mediterranean Sea. The actual Hebrew in Micah 7 and verse 19, where it talks about the sea, it actually says the direction of the Mediterranean Sea relative to the Near East. I thought that was powerful. Do you know the deepest part of the Mediterranean Sea is 17,520 feet? The deepest man has ever gone in history is 10,500 plus feet. The pressure would begin to crush the individual, even in the tank and so on. And so it is that no one has ever gotten to the bottom. And here it is that God says, that's where I cast your sins. God says, I've cast your sins in the bottom. What does that mean? I have a young lady getting baptized, a young friend of mine, somebody that I've known for many years, and she's getting baptized today at Granite Bay. She was one of the students at AFCO, and I was teaching there this week. And I called her last night when I found out, and I said, sister, I said, when you go down in that watery grave, the old you is gone and the new you rises. And I said, sister, you might have friends that'll try to bring back your past failures your past sins. But I just want you to be of comfort and be of good cheer and to remember that God has cast your sins at the bottom, as it were, of the Mediterranean Sea, a place where no man can go and pull it back up. So when your friends try to say, hey, why don't you go ahead and do these old sins like we used to do? You go ahead and give them some doctrine. Tell them, I'm sorry, on September, I'm sorry, on November 20th, 2021, that old person died, and the Bible says the dead know not anything. And I said, you let them know that the new life you're living is a different life than what you were in the past. That's the beauty of baptism. 
And so it is for you, my brothers and sisters. Can God forgive you? Of course he can. The Bible is ever so clear. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy. Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. My brothers and sisters, what sin have you committed that God cannot forgive? God says, I can pardon you from anything. God says, there's only one sin that I can't pardon people from, and that's the one they won't confess. And that's called blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. If we refuse the Spirit, we never confess our sins, and yes, that can stop us. But if we come to God and say, Lord, I'm a wretch. I've been a harlot. I've been a murderer. I've been a thief. I've been whatever it is. God says, I have plenty of grace. For where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And I want to get, just show you this beautiful power of forgiveness in this short little two plus minute video that I just believe touched my heart so much that I said, man, I want to share this with my brothers and sisters. You see, the power of the Lord is present to heal family. But we must be willing to accept God's principles of forgiveness and we must be willing to demonstrate it to others. And this is how we receive some healing that will even surprise us at the power of the gospel. The Three Angels messages is going through all the world. And we have a message to call sin by its right name. But it's to present forgiveness in the height of its beautiful and biblical principles. And this is what will draw many to the Lord in these closing moments in earth's history, that we will be a people prepared to meet our God. And so with this, I just want to give you this little video here that has touched my heart so much over the years that I've watched it. And I pray that it will be encouraging to you. On November 5th, 2003, all doubt of Ridgeway's guilt was erased. Can we turn the volume up? He pleaded guilty to the murders of 48 women. He'd made a deal to cooperate with the prosecution to provide more information on his victims and the whereabouts of their remains. In doing so, he avoided a trial and possible death penalty. Mr. Ridgway, how do you plead to the charge of aggravated murder in the first degree as charged in count one for the death of Wendy Lee Caulfield? Guilty. How do you plead to the charge of aggravated murder in the first degree as charged in count two? Guilty. 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 It's like he didn't have any remorse at all for what he had done. You know, he'd killed so many people, he didn't remember who they were, what they looked like. I just couldn't believe that somebody could kill all those people and not remember them. Neither could the angry relatives of his victims, who were invited to speak in court when Ridgway was sentenced to life without parole on December 18, 2003. You had said your memory, when it comes to all of the women you took, was gone. Our memory is not. In your words, you said that they didn't mean anything to you, but she meant everything to us. She was a mother, she was a wife, she was a sister, and we miss her. Gary Ridgway sat there stone-faced as victims' relatives damned him and mocked him. But then the emotionless facade finally cracked when the father of one of his victims morning, appeared to surprise him with a dose of human kindness. Mr. Ridgway. Um, there are people here that hate you. 
I'm not one of them. You've, you've made it difficult to live up to what I believe, and that is what God says to do, and that's to forgive. You are forgiven, sir. Those tears and a statement he made to the court later that day were as close to showing real remorse as Gary Ridgway had ever come. Notice that all it took to break this stone-hearted man, everybody did what was natural in human life, natural to the human nature. They wished him death, they cursed him, they did everything, and none of that moved him. But when somebody came up and said, listen, you, you've made this hard for me. But he submitted himself to God and then says, you are forgiven. And he just couldn't take it anymore. And he broke. There's so much healing, brothers and sisters, in forgiveness. And there's no way we're going to prepare to meet Jesus soon to come and think that this is not foundational to that message of the blessed herald of the first, second, and third angel. And God wants you to know that he's very prepared to say that to you if you and I would just come to him and to say, Lord, I confess. I acknowledge, not to me, not to another pastor, preacher, or anybody, but to God. And so I'm going to make a very special appeal. And, 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 and I'm going to ask this because I think we need to be in this precious place. If there's any of us in this room and you've been hurt. I mean, you've been hurt by others. I, I have learned that we are almost a, we're, we're a people of tremendous acting. We don't mean to act, but we hide behind a lot of our hurt. And there are people who have wounded us and, and their wounds is like I said, some of them are living in our minds rent free right now. And God is ready to give that eviction. God says, I, I can help you forgive the unforgivable. God says, I can help you to overcome whatever that bitterness or that anger is. But God says, but the first thing we have to do is acknowledge it. An alcoholic cannot overcome alcohol until he knows and acknowledges he's an alcoholic. A drug addict cannot overcome their drugs until they realize I'm a drug addict. And some of us, we cannot experience the healing of forgiveness until we realize that we're still harboring that thing in our hearts. And so I'm just simply making an appeal. If you are in this room today and you know that there are people that have hurt you, people that have wounded you, people that have offended you, and you've really been struggling to forgive them. And you just want to say, preacher, I need you to do me a favor. I want you to remember me in prayer because I want to be in a place that I can truly let God take away this bitterness, take away this anger, take away this resentment. I'm just wondering, if there's even one person in their room like that, would you be so kind to stand with me? If you're one person in this room that says, I've been battling with this thing, praise God, brother, I thank you for that. We're being honest with our own hearts. If there's just any of those struggles, somebody who has been so thoroughly offensive, someone who has hurt us and wounded us so badly, and we have really been struggling, Lord, I'm struggling to let this person, to forgive this person. I feel like sometimes maybe I'm letting them get off, like we learned earlier. And I don't want to do that. So we hold on to that anger. We hold on to that bitterness. We hold on to that resentment. And today God is saying, listen, whom the son sets free is free indeed. God says, I want to make you free. That's why you're standing. And so that's why all of you are standing. And I thank you for taking that boldness because sometimes people need to see us not just in our moments of strength. They need to see us in our moments of vulnerability. And so I appreciate you 
taking that stand because there's no one in this room that has either a heaven or hell to put you in. Your decision and your walk with God is your own and that's why you're standing. And I promise you, if you receive what heaven wants to give today, I repeat the words of our opening study, the power of the Lord is present to heal. I'd like to invite the rest of us to please stand. Let us go ahead and let us close with prayer. Our loving Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your wonderful words of life. We thank you, Father, for the gift of forgiveness that you offer to anyone who is willing to come to you and accept it. And Lord, today you had many of your children take their stand, recognizing that we have been hurt, we have been wounded, we have been taken advantage of, Lord, and sometimes we're at a place of such deep-rooted bitterness that it's very, very difficult even to forgive, especially as your word has just counseled us to do so. But Lord, we avail ourselves to you. We pray that you will please do in us what we never could do for ourselves, but first our glory must be laid in the dust, Father. We recognize that our ability to forgive in and of ourselves is useless. It's powerless, but we're grateful that you have all power. We're grateful that you gave it to Jesus, and we're grateful that you're willing to give it to us. And Lord, I pray that you will take away that bitterness, that anger, that resentment, Lord. I pray not only for those in this room, but I know that there are many who are watching through the live stream that are also battling with these very same things. By the grace of God, I pray, please, Father, fulfill your will and accomplish your goal and fulfill those words whom the Son sets free are free indeed. May we be a free people as we leave this room. May we trust that it is all in your hands now. Vengeance is yours if they do not repent. But Lord, we pray that all of our offenders would repent and come to Jesus. And I pray, Father, that we might receive healing, not only psychologically, but physically, Lord. Whatever it is, wherever we need it most, whatever this power that was present to heal to do, may you do it even today, do it even now. And we thank you for not only hearing, but also answering this prayer, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen. Amen. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.